Right. I just want to take uh, a minute, first of all, to greet my wife, my beautiful wife, who's sitting in the front row right here. I'm just so privileged to have her with me. Um, she is definitely the better part of me. Uh, I, I only say nice things because she taught me how to talk. I only dress nice because she still dresses me. <laughs> so that's true. That's true. It's my answer. People say, wow, you really dress good. Like, just thank my wife. I haven't picked anything out. So, But anyway, uh, she's so good, and I'm privileged that she serves by my side. I also want to great, uh, greet Dan Lazaro over there, sitting right back there. Danny just graduated, and he is uh, moved into independent living, so we're excited about him taking the next step of his life, and he's joined us tonight, as I'm sure he will try to uh, every night, and um, I'm having a hard time finding Mark. You know, my my pages are all stuck together. Yeah, a few sticky notes, but if you could, Mark chapter two. I'm going to read uh, about twelve verses here, so bear with me. <clears throat> and again, he entered Capernaum, or he's talking about Jesus. After some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who, who was carried by four men. That's important. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was so that when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralyzed man was laying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemy? Like this, who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason amongst yourselves? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or, or arise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins he said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, arise and go to your house. Immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God. And we said, we've never seen anything like this before. Father, it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, God. We don't have to add anything to it, and we dare not take anything away from it. It already is anointed and powerful, Lord. But I do pray in the, in the name of Jesus that our hearts are prepared for your word. Lord, as soil is prepared for seed. Lord, I pray against any distractions that would come against the preaching of the gospel in Jesus' name, Lord. And I thank you for it. Amen. The title of my message here is The Sometimes of Your Miracle. The Sometimes of Your Miracle. We can look at this portion of scripture and see a few dynamics of the ministry of Jesus Christ and the will of God, which is to heal, to set free from the power of sin and death, 
and to save that which is lost. This is very evident in the opening moments of Jesus' ministry where he proclaimed the words of the prophet Isaiah saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the opening of the prison doors to those that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the vengeance of our God, and to comfort, how many people are happy that he's a comforter, to counsel those who mourn in Zion, and to give beauty for ashes, and the oil of joy, how many people are happy for the joy that they have, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and that he may be glorified. We can see in the the chapter of Mark, chapter 2, there's a few different dynamics of things that are happening here. I believe God gave me this message that I'm about to share with you because there is often in Scripture these little things that I call sometimes discoveries. Because although God does what he wants and he does how he wants and he does with who he wants, he leaves us trails of his various ways that he moves in our lives and and it speaks to us and gives us hope and faith in him. We can look at over scripture and we can see that God often does things uniquely. Things that have never been seen before. Things that are, would be considered unusual. But how many people know that, that when God does something, even when it's unusually, there's a, there's a, there's a, a usually an awesome result. Can I get an amen? How many people have God moved in their life or seen something that they didn't understand why it happened or how it happened or if they were going to make up a way that they think it was going to happen? It never happens that way. It always happens in a unique way, like God is putting his fingerprint on it so that nobody else can get the credit but him. Have you ever had a circumstance or a situation like that? There's some things in this chapter that I've noticed uh, about the, the principles and patterns that I see the Lord work in many people's lives while he's doing miracles or before he's doing a miracle in their life. While he's answering, answering prayers or directly before he begins to answer prayers, there's certain things that when you've been walking with God for, for a certain season, you can almost, you can almost begin to learn some of his ways. And you know, sometimes he may do it this way, but sometimes he may do it that way. And that's where I got the title of this message of sermon. One of the things that I've learned is, learned is that sometimes things must break. Often, the wor- before things ever get better in your life, or you ever break through a circumstance in your, in your, in your situation, or get a breakthrough in circumstances in your life, or you get a healing, or you, you, or, or you get an answer to financial, uh, uh, financial situation, or, or you need a, a relational healing with family, often things tend to get worse before they get better. Often things seem to be at their worst when you're closest to your miracle. And we can see this in in this portion of scripture because look at this particular man. He He was born paralyzed. He had been a beggar. He wasn't able to function like a normal person. Now remember back in this time, 
there was no Department of Social Services. There wasn't no disability. There wasn't Social Security. There wasn't Section 8 housing. There wasn't food stamps. They didn't have any of this kind of stuff. So this brother was in a bad situation for a very long time. He was desolate. Probably felt like he was a hindrance to his family and the people around him. Probably even found himself mad at God at times. Probably questioning, why am I even alive? Why am I living? Why, why did I get dealt this deck of cards? Why, why do I have this situation? How many people could probably think and relate and say he probably felt a little sorry for himself? There were probably some things uh, reasons, very good reasons, why he may have been a little depressed, maybe a little disconnected, maybe, maybe feeling uh, a little insecure because he was not like everybody else. But as, as, as he probably heard his friends come to him, say, listen, we know of this man that could heal you. We know of this man that could set you free, that could change your life. You'll no longer be lame. You'll no longer have to beg. You can get a job like us, and you can have a family like us, and you can go to work and have a career, and, 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 and you can run, and you can walk, and you can do all these things. Just come with us. For a second, he probably was filled with doubt, saying, listen, I've been this way my whole entire life. This is the circumstances that, that, that I'm in. This is the uh, the." The, the cards that I was dealt. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe an addiction or something like, listen, this is just the way I am. I, will, I can't change. Uh, once this, always that. There's no way I could be free. There's no way I could be normal. There's no way I can have a productive life. There's no way I can be successful. I'm stuck in this situation. I'm stuck in the neighborhood that I grew up in, I live in. I'm stuck in the family that I came out of. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm stuck with, with the, 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 the friends that live around me and I'm stuck. I'm stuck with my bad habits, and I'm stuck with my, 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 uh, my, my lack, and I'm stuck with my inexperience, and I'm stuck without any gifts and talents. I'm stuck without any family, with any money. I'm stuck with all these different things. I'm sure we all could relate that at some point in time before we came into the ministry, or maybe even as God began to heal us, we were, were able to look back and, and find some areas of our life where we were comparing ourselves to everybody else. And we may have feel less than. And I believe this brother was probably dealing with that. And he has these, these men tell him that he's, going, that he's going to get his healing. And he begins to go with them as it, it testifies that four men carried him to this door. And he gets to this front door and he's right at the, uh, just, just 10 or 15 feet probably away from where his healing was. And the man that was going to give him everything that he ever wanted in life just to be normal just to be like everybody else, just to have the same opportunities as everybody else, just feet away from his miracle. And then he finds out that he can't get in the house because everybody else has flooded the house. How many people know that the majority of the people that follow Jesus really weren't following Jesus? They were there for the circus. They were there for, they were there for all the signs and wonders and miracles. They were there to listen to what he had. He said, but most of them were not even there because they wanted to follow him. And sometimes it's that same way. Where many of the people that seem to be around the things of God really aren't about the things of God. And you see the house is crowded and the house is full and it's probably full of, of half of the people that really need something from God and the other ones that maybe were trying to fill their day with something. 
And here this guy is at the door, and he really needs something from God. And he can't get to him. And the men tell him, listen, I, I don't think we're going to be able to get in. I'm assuming at this time his, his spirit was, was, was even lowered to even a lower place where he probably felt even more depressed and felt, felt more hopeless and felt more, more insecure. Like, forget it. I should have never even came. I should have just stayed where I was because I'm always going to be that way and I'm always going to be in this situation. And if it was God's will for me to get healed, the door would open and I'd be a partied right in there and I'd have free access. If you're waiting for things to be easy, to be God's will, you're, you're in the wrong relationship with the wrong God. Because sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. Sometimes you have to go through a little suffering. Sometimes you got to go through a little hardship. Sometimes you got to go through a little bit of rejection and, and, and dejection. Sometimes you got to go through a little bit of lack to know what it's like to be blessed, to know what it's like to be accepted, to know what it's like to have joy, to know what it's like to have success. So there he is wanting to get through, and he can't get through. And the men say, listen, we'll just bring you up on the roof and lower you in. Think about that. Like, I know when they paint these things on the stained glass and you see the man coming down from the roof and you read it in the Bible, it's all majestic and it's all wonderful and it all looks like it's beautiful. But think about this. Four guys standing around saying, well, why don't we just bring them on the roof? Here's this guy like this. He can't walk. He's like, are you guys kidding me? Just leave me alone. You've embarrassed me enough. So now if he hasn't been humiliated, now it's even worse. They're going to bring him on the roof and carry him up. I wonder if his name was Bob. But no, anyway, I'm sorry. Forget that. It's terrible. So anyway, so they bring him on the roof. And this isn't bad enough. They start breaking up the roof. Things sometimes get worse before they get better. And just because they're getting worse, or just because you don't see your answer, or just because the, the relationship you're praying for restoration seems to be getting further and further away, and just because you, you feel like uh, the hope that you once had, you're getting further away from the answered prayer, I'm here to tell you today that things often get worse before they get better. There has to be a break-in. God always looks to break things that he wants to bless. And this brother had to get on the roof. They had to start ripping up the roof. Could you imagine the wife of the home inside saying, John, they're breaking up the roof. Don't worry about it, honey. Don't worry. I'll fix it tomorrow. You know what tomorrow means when a man says he's going to fix it, right? It means he's going to call Kenny. But anyway, no, no, no. Right, hon? No. Um, so there he is breaking up the roof. This situation has just gotten so much worse. Here he is embarrassed now being lowered in. My point is, is that sometimes things break. Sometimes things get harder before they get better. And just because it's getting harder doesn't mean that's not God's will for you. Just because you're a little uncomfortable doesn't mean that it's not God's will for you. Just because it's getting a little bit difficult doesn't mean that God's not going to fulfill the promise that he gave you and that his word ain't true, because it is 100% of the time. Not 80, not 90, not 99, 100% of the time. 
God is faithful to fulfill his word. This brings me to my second point. So things are getting worse before they're getting better. I want to I shine a light for just a brief second on the four men. The four men that used carrion. You know, sometimes you need a little help. Sometimes you need a little help. You know, we often push away the help that God is sending us. And sometimes we try to dictate the help that we need. But if we knew the, need, the help that was going to help us, we probably would have helped ourselves not to get in a situation that we need help out of. My point being is, is don't be so particular about who the four men are or what four men God uses to bring you out of this mess. Because what if this brother was laying on the floor and three of the men he liked, but one of the guys owed him five bucks and he said, listen, I'm not letting that guy carry me anywhere. I don't trust that guy for nothing. What if one of the four guys that were going to carry him wasn't the right nationality or the right color? And he said, I don't need their help. What if, he, what, if, what if he was too prideful to have four men carry him anywhere? And he said, forget that help. I don't need that help. And it sounds kind of funny, but how often do we push away the help that God is sending us because we don't necessarily like or think that the help he's sending is the right help that we need? I remember... Being in the program, about nine years now, I've dealt with a lot of different families. I did intake for a little while, and, you know, they bring Johnny into you. Johnny is, you know, weighs about 85 pounds. He's got sores on him, his body. He's got abscesses. He is a hot mess. His hair is falling out. His skin is gray. He looks like he's been about dead for a week walking. Come on, you guys know what that's like. Parents bring him in. They're desperate. Please help Johnny. I don't care what you have to do. Just please help Johnny. Ma'am, we got Johnny. Just leave Johnny here. Trust us. We know what we're doing. We're going to help Johnny. See, if Johnny just surrenders his life, Johnny's going to get well, and you're going to see a difference. They come back a month later. They see Johnny. He's gained 15 pounds. He's eating right. He's looking good. He's starting to smile a little bit. He's starting to talk a little better. He's starting to see a little bit of color in his eye, a little gleam, a little hope. Come back another month. He's even better. Now he's quoting scripture, telling, telling mama that he believes in Jesus now, and Jesus saved him, and his life has changed, and he's going to do great things, and everything's wonderful. They're so excited. They call the center, and they're like, Oh, thank God for Teen Challenge. Thank God for everything you did. We're just so appreciative. We love you. Is there anything we could do for you? You guys are the best, the greatest thing. I can't believe it. This place is like a miracle worker. My son is back. It's wonderful. And it is. It's wonderful. Another two or three months go by. They're just so happy and so excited about what God is doing through Johnny's life. And they come to you and they say, listen, we're going on a Johnny's got about six or seven months in the program. And, you know, we're going on a family vacation to Florida, and we would like to take Johnny with us. We'll be gone for two weeks. Is that okay? Well, ma'am, 
I don't think that's a good idea. I, I, I don't really think that Johnny's ready for all that. I think I think he needs to, you know, stay and continue his commitment in the program. But he looks so good. He's doing so good. We want to reward him. I, I understand. But, ma'am, I think you just need to leave Johnny in the program. Um, I, if you don't want to tell him that you're going on vacation because he'll feel bad or whatever, just whatever you need to do. But we just need to keep on doing wh what's helping Johnny right now, and I don't think that's the best thing. Then the next thing that comes out of their mouth is, I thought you guys were a Christian program. I thought you were family-oriented. I thought this. You guys don't know what you're doing. This is what happened. And we laugh because it's like, listen, we knew what we were doing the first six months. We're okay. Just leave this to us. Trust us. And they take Johnny out, and they take Johnny on vacation, and he robs the whole family, and he takes off with the car. But anyway... My point is this. It's just like that family didn't allow God and us to do the work that we were doing and trust us. We're the same way with the Lord, with our own lives. Is we give them a certain amount until we, st we, got, we got our will back. We're feeling good. We're feeling strong. We can make good decisions. I've been in the program seven months. I can quote ten Bible scriptures. In fact, I got this thing better than the staff. In fact, I know this thing better than Don Wilkerson himself. But that's how we get with God. We get to the place where we receive the help for a while. And we allow God to work in our lives to a certain degree. But then we start to dictate what the help is supposed to look like. What if this man would have said, I don't want to be carried by four men. I shouldn't have to be carried by four men. If God wanted to heal me, I wouldn't need four men. I would just float in. You know, if you, if you, we'll just pray about it out here. You know. But God wanted him inside. For some reason, the Lord allowed that to happen. You don't think if he was reasoning in everybody's heart, he knew what was about to happen? You don't think when the roof started cracking open and things started falling that he was surprised? I don't think he was. In fact, if I, if, if I know anything, the disciples probably or someone probably came to him and said, there's a man outside and we can't get him in. And he probably told him, bring him through the roof. What? That don't make sense. Bring him through the roof. Sometimes God is telling us to bring it through the roof. And we're so stuck on our way. We're so stuck doing things the way we think are right and the way it's always been done. Listen, there is no church of the broken roof. Well, people will make a religion out of everything. What am I saying is God doesn't always have to work within our boundaries. He doesn't always have to do things the same way we do it. And sometimes we just need a little help. And we can't always dictate what the help is going to be. Amen? The last thing, and I'm going to close with this, is sometimes you have to do something that you've never done before. To have something you've never had before. Mark chapter 2, verse 12, immediately he rose, took up his bed in the presence of them all, and they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. You see, Abraham left all he knew to receive a promise, Moses had to take the first step in the sea. Esther stormed into a king's throne room. 
to save her people. David stood before a giant with five smooth stones. Peter stepped out of a boat and walked on water and listened to a carpenter about where to go fishing. Peter preached the first New Testament, and the same man preached the first sermon that was ever preached for the New Testament church. You see, there's a first time for everything. And sometimes we continue to do the same things and expect a different result. We continue to do the same things that we think are the right way and the ways we've always done it and the way our church has always done it and the way this has always done it. And we get so locked in that we're afraid to do something new or try something new. See, a, cent a century ago, there was a band of brave souls that became known as the one-way missionaries. Instead of having suitcases, they would pack all they had as a symbol of them being dead in a coffin. A.W. Milne was one of those missionaries. He set sail for the new Hebrides in the South Pacific, knowing full well the headhunters that lived there before had martyred every other missionary that ever gone there before. Milne, Milne stepped out in faith, packed his coffin, and he lived amongst that tribe for 35 years and loved them. When he died, they buried him in the middle of the village and inscribed this epitaph on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light, but when he left, there was no darkness. This is a man that stepped out and did something different. It was the first time. Every other person had gone there before and had lost their life. But for whatever reason, God saw fit for him to break through the darkness. One of the fundamental spiritual problems is that we want something from God, something different, but we keep doing the same old things. We want God to change our circumstances without us having to change at all. We ask God for new wine. He tells us to get new wineskins. Change is a two-sided coin. We have to be out with the old and in with the new. Some things that I consider miracle killers are, number one, the opinion of man. If you're worried about what everybody thinks about you and you're worried about everybody's perspective and being liked by everyone, you'll never do anything for God. And the other thing that steals people's miracles is a, sp a spirit of religion. You see, how many people would have looked at this situation and say, well, God doesn't work that way. God wouldn't break up a roof. He wouldn't destroy property. Or, 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 or why, wouldn't the, why wouldn't the door just open and them come through or whatever. Because people get so caught up on religion and doing things exactly the same that they miss out on the supernatural move of God in their life. You know, there are different seasons that we go through. As the musicians come up, please. There are different seasons that we go through. I believe that there's two significant seasons in our life before a miracle. You see, Jesus looked at them, and he said this. He told them that his sins were forgiven. And they all laughed. Like, who is this guy to forgive sins? Do you guys believe that his sins were forgiven at that point? They were, right? At that point, we believed that his sins were forgiven. But you can't see that. There's no proof of it. 
There's nothing to say except the word of God. I guess his sins are forgiven. I mean, it looks kind of the same, you know, I mean. But he says his sins are forgiven, so I guess he's forgiven. He was forgiven. But then Jesus goes into the next thing. He says, I'm going to show you that his sins are forgiven by the evidence of what's about to happen. And sometimes we go through a season in our life where God is speaking to us and God is talking to us and he's filling our hearts with promises and he's telling us all the great things that he wants to do and all the great things he has for your future. Sometimes you think that that everything he promises you, I mean, I've had people say, I don't know, I've been doing the right thing for five weeks and nothing has changed. There are seasons that you go through that God continually, he'll speak to you and he'll deposit words in your spirit. People will speak over your life. You'll read the Bible and you'll say, that promise is for me. Somebody will tell you a word from the Lord or a scripture and say, this word is for you. And you'll go through seasons when all this stuff is happening. And you'll believe it all at first. But then things might get a little tough and you go through some struggles. And you say, I I don't know if I still believe that that word was true. And I believe the reason why Jesus first forgave him of his sins, he knew what they were going to think. He knew what they were going to say. Because there's seasons that God will give you a promise. And there'll be no vision of it. There'll be no visual of what he said he wanted to do in your life. There might be seasons where God told you, you're going to be blessed, but you're still in debt. There might be seasons you go through, God says you're going to be healed, but you're still sick. There are seasons you go through where God says, I'm going to restore your marriage, but she still won't talk to you. There are seasons that you'll go through that God will promise you, your kids will serve me, yet they're still selling drugs on the the corner. There are seasons that God is speaking to you and you're not seeing nothing. But I'm here to tell you today that there does come another season. There is a moment where Jesus says, get up and walk so everybody can see the blessing that I have for you. Get up and walk so everybody can see that I'm your God and that what I say is true and yes and amen. I don't know what season you're in, but I want to talk to the person that is almost forgotten about the promise of God. I want to talk to the people that, that have been discouraged for so long that you almost don't believe that God has something good for you. I want to talk to the people that, that have been suffering through something and milling through something and begging and pleading God to deliver you. And you don't see anything because I'm here to tell you today, if you could just hold on for one more day, if you can believe God just one more time, if you could just give him praise through the circumstance one more time, I'm here to tell you your answer is coming. Your miracle is coming. Your breakthrough is coming. He's going to set you free like he said he was going to set you free. And he's going to bless you like he said he was going to bless you. So if that's you. If you're a weary person and you're laying on the floor in front of a door and some four men tell you that it's time to go on the roof and you're tired, but you want to believe, but you want to believe, I want God to bring some refreshing in your life.
I want God to renew that passion in your heart. I want to let you know I am living in a promise that I received at 22 years old. God told me that I'd be doing what I'm doing right now. I went through years of addiction, incarcerations. I went through years of depression, years of, uh, 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 of nothing good coming out of my life, broken relationships, family didn't know where I was, living in trap houses and trailer parks and track marks up and down my arms, and this close to death. But I knew when I was younger I had a promise. You might be in that moment right before your promise. You might be laying on the ground and, and Jesus looks at you and says, your sins are forgiven. And you're like, I need a little more than that. I need to get up and walk, Lord. Well, I want the Lord to refresh you tonight. Refresh the promise in the name of Jesus, Lord. I pray, Father, for the fire of God to fall in his place, Lord. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Ghost, the voice that speaks to hearts, Lord, not just to ears and heads, Lord, but the voice that speaks to hearts. I ask you in Jesus' name to pour out your glory in this place, Lord. We don't want to go home the same way we walked in. We want to know that we've been with the King of glory. We want to know that we've been with the Creator. We want to know that we've been with the one that loves our soul desperately, Lord God. Please pour out your love in this place tonight.